panic in Rangers land, the Blue Shirts lost their fourth straight game Tuesday night, lost their most productive center, and the pressure begins to mount on their young goaltending tandem. We'll ask our Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks, if we should be concerned with the rocky start of the season. And speaking of goaltending, we'll chat with a former Rangers goalie and MSG Network studio analyst, Steve Valiquette, on the team's struggles in net. All that and more next on a Don't Jump Off a Cliff Yet Rangers fans edition of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your damn podcast, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review if you are an Apple podcast user. It's easy, it's free, and we appreciate your continued support as we bring you new episodes Every Thursday, all season long, Larry Brooks of the New York Post will join us in his weekly spot. We're also joined by MSG Network studio analyst, former Rangers goalie, Steve Valiquette. But first, here they are, your stars of the show, the New York Post-owned Molly Walker and former Ranger, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Hi, Jake. Hi, everyone. Let me just say this for the Ranger fans. There's no jumping off a cliff. There is no panic. Let me generally give you my thoughts on what I've seen so far. I've seen the Rangers play Pittsburgh Devils, Islanders, and Buffalo. And if I was to think that those teams are better than the Rangers, then I would come out and say, okay, we may have a problem. But overall, the games have been somewhat even. What's been the difference? It's been goaltending. I think everyone knows that. And when you look at the Ranger young goaltending, I got to give him a pass. Why? No exhibition games. Another reason why? The King left town. So all of a sudden it was upon them to be at their very best. Sometimes things just don't go as planned. So when I look at the team, how they played, I like how the Rangers have played. No, they haven't scored goals. But it's there. It's just a matter of time. And uh, I really feel good about the young players. They're competing. They're playing hard. And it's going to come back. Tonight, they play against Buffalo. And I believe they're going to have a big rebound game in Buffalo, just like we saw against the Islanders, game two. And so having said that, I'm going to bring in my co-host, Molly. What are your thoughts, especially with uh, Heedle out of the lineup? What does that mean to you moving forward? Yeah, Ron, you know, the team announced this week, Phil Heedle out four to six weeks with an upper body injury. Obviously, you never want to lose any player, but if you would have asked me last week which player would have been worst case scenario to lose, I would have hands down said Philip Heedle. For those who need a reminder, Heedle collided with Penguins forward Evan Rodriguez during the second period of Sunday's 3-2 loss. He was sent back to New York first thing Monday morning to see doctors, and the team is calling it, like I said, an upper body injury. But we did see he had a knee-to-knee collision, you know, could also be his wrist. But obviously with the way that the league works, we won't probably won't get any clarification on that, unfortunately. But he had two goals and an assist through five games for our plus-minus fans out there. He was a plus three. 
And he anchored that third line between Capo Caco and Phil DiGiuseppe, which was probably their most consistent and productive line before his injury. It's a big loss, especially amid a shortened season. And I really feel for Heedle. He probably took the largest strides developmentally out of everyone on the team. And now that's all on hold. In observing Panarin, when you watch this player, especially going into last year, a free spirit, very happy. And uh, with what we're seeing him right now, he's just not executing. He's missing his shots. He's missing some of his passes. Are we now seeing a player that's lost some confidence? I don't know if I would say it's losing confidence. I think that that second line with Strom and and David Quinn has plugged in a lot of different players onto that right wing there. It's not allowing anybody to get into a groove, I would say. And I think that a big part of Panarin's success last season was Strom's assists and his connection and chemistry that he built with Panarin and Strom has has really struggled through the first couple games here I know he got a goal the other night and that got the monkey off his back a little bit but he's just not been as noticeable as he was last season he was he was so good next to next to Panarin and I know that Panarin had expressed that he was specifically most comfortable with Strom centering his line so obviously the coaching staff would never break that apart and it's continued into the season but Strom just hasn't been playing to the level that he did last season and I think that has hindered Panarin's production as a result. Molly, let me comment on one thing that I've been paying attention to because I've played in a game and I've played the center position and winning faceoffs Really important. When you win a face-off, often you have a set play. You control the puck. You create opportunity, create shots on net. And going into the last game, they won only 30% of their face-offs. And I know Zabinijad's been struggling. And uh, and so it goes back to the possible thought of, do you bring a guy in like Brian Boyle, who mm-hmm. could be phenomenal at this point? Because they do have a, a weakness down the middle, especially with Heedle out. Do you really go after Brian Boyle? Not only can he win faceoffs, but he's a big, strong guy, provides leadership. I can see how Brian Boyle will really be a nice fit right now. I totally agree with you. I I think that with their faceoff struggles and also I think there might be a leadership necessity there too. He really you know, has is a loud voice and a veteran in this league. And I think that this team needs a little bit more veteran leadership and need, what is their average age, 25, 26? It's, it's a lot of young kids in that locker room. And Brian Boyle is a strong veteran presence. So I definitely agree with you. I mean, I think Larry Brooks reported that the team had spoken with him and that you know, there was some communication there. I'm not 100% sure how quickly it would come to fruition or if it would come to fruition, but I definitely think it would serve them well if, if they brought him in. And like you said, face-offs are just the most important and they really, especially on Tuesday, <laughs> um, they were not strong at all from the face-off circle. But I mean, that's also going back to, it's all one goal games, you know, like every, the last four games, the whole four game losing streak has been one goal game. So they're there, you know, they're right there, but they're not closing it out. I've been in games where you feel like you're playing well, you're working hard, creating chances, and you're just not getting good bounces. The other thing that I've noticed is that it's been goaltending, but they've run into a lot of hot goaltenders. They've all been really good, except for game two against the Islanders where they, they was a shadow. Every other game, 
they ran into some hot goaltending, and that's going to happen. It just happens that it's it's been like five games. So they just need to keep playing, stay happy, still compete, and they got a good young team, and it's just going to happen. That's why I believe, as I said, I think tonight will be a good rebound game for them, just like they did against the Islanders. There's a certain calmness to Coach Quinn where he gets them believing in themselves and their system and no panic. We say this so many times, no panic, just go out and play. So I think we're going to see a lot of that tonight. And I do have to highlight one player from game one to game six, uh, a bright spot besides Busnevich, Kadri Miller. I mean, this kid is starting to remind me of a great all-star player, Victor Hedman in Tampa. I love how his skating style, more than anything else, he's he's his big kid. He's 6'5", I believe. He goes yeah. up the ice just like Victor Hammond, manages the puck really well. He keeps getting better every game. So he's a really bright spot for the New York Rangers. He really has been. I mean, he is such a pleasure to watch, honestly, is probably the biggest thing that I would say. Like you said, his skating is phenomenal. The way he transitions up and down the ice is, especially at the size that he is, it's it's something unbelievable to watch truly. And, you know, he got his first NHL goal Tuesday showing off his rocket shot. I know Tony D'Angelo retrieved the puck for him. So I'm sure that was very special for him. And he just, like you said, continues to impress, especially because he looks like he belongs and has genuinely just been the Rangers best defenseman so far this season at 21 years old, in my opinion. It's nice to hear a positive guys. There were so many negatives that we're hearing. <laughs> you didn't even mention Jack Johnson, but you know, I won't talk yeah. about him because Rangers fans are sitting, waiting, wishing. If you don't get that reference, that's one of Jack Johnson's <laughs> top songs. Uh, that's why they pay me the big bucks, but let's hear from Twitter uh, about the New York Rangers guys. We got a question from Twitter from at Paul Keefe. He said, he's seen a few games, He's especially interested in Lafreniere. He never seems to get the puck, and his line mates don't generate any offensive pressure. What's going on? Let me just say that I'm going to ask this question to Steve Valicat later in the show because he dissects everything, and hopefully he'll give us an understanding. I haven't seen a whole lot out of him other than he's strong in a puck, he competes, but he hasn't been able to execute only because he hasn't been getting the opportunities. And I know having played the game, that happens. You could go as you could go games where not much is coming your way. And all of a sudden it just opens up the floodgates open up. And I think that's, what's going to happen with him. Like, so I see him taking shots, but it's more or less just taking a shot versus when you watch him play in junior hockey, he holds on to the puck. He holds on longer. He makes plays. He's completely out of that comfort zone that he was in before. So it's going to take a goal or two where he's going to feel good about himself. And next thing you know, we're going to see the best of him. Yeah, Lafreniere has gone all six games without a point, obviously. But so did Jack Hughes a year ago. Lafreniere was playing on a new line yet again Tuesday in wake of Heedle's injury on the wing of Brett Howden and Capocacco. I mean, it's still early. He's 19 playing on a different line almost every game. And it takes time to find a rhythm and getting switched around so much probably doesn't help. But he is starting to get shots on net, learning how to get the puck through traffic. And in my opinion, he hasn't been noticeable in a negative way, but he also hasn't stood out in a positive way either. All right, guys, the Rangers stock is down. AMC and GameStop is up, according to uh, <laughs> the world. If you've been following the stock world, Rangers are down. But now it's time to buy in, buy low, and then hopefully they could turn this around. Um, to talk more about uh, the Rangers is our Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks, coming up next on Up in the Blue Seats. <laughs> 
Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the New York Post at nypost.com. Larry, we're five games into the season. The Rangers are on a four-game losing streak. Phil Pedel is out for four to six weeks and frustrations are starting to mount. I'm curious when you think is an acceptable time to panic. Should the fans be panicking? Well, I don't think panic is is the appropriate response. I think it's time for concern. That's for sure. I think it's time for concern within the organization, within the team. It's probably unfair to overreact to only six games, but they've only played six games. So, you know, it's not it's not as if we're taking a six-game sample out of the middle of the season. I know for myself, I'm reacting to what I've seen, and what I've seen so far from them, except for one game, has been very disappointing. Looking at some bright light, I'm looking at Bush Nevis, and to me, he's been my favorite player. Right out of the gate, he's come out. He's been aggressive. He's been good on the puck, and he looks different. He looks strong. His legs look strong, controlling the puck. How would you assess his game? Well, I think you provided a pretty good capsule right there. You know, it's interesting, too, because there's a push and pull from the coaching staff and David Quinn to the players to be better without the puck. I mean, that's that's always it, because everyone can be good on the puck, right? Um, Everyone wants to play with the puck. Everyone wants to play in the offensive zone. And when younger guys are scratched, or our bench, David invariably talks about you have to do more than score in this league. You know, you, you can you can be a successful player on other levels without doing those things, but it is impossible to succeed in this league without playing strong without the puck, being responsible defensively and and all of and, and all of that. So that's been the push and pull with Buknevich for the last couple of years. And it has taken you know, it has just taken. He is diligent in the defensive zone. He's getting back quickly. He's working hard to get the puck back when he doesn't have it. His vision with it is good. He has been the Rangers' most complete player up front, and probably he and Adam Fox have been their two most complete players overall. So, yeah, if there is a bright spot, it is Buknevich shining so far. Yeah. When any team starts out like this and the head coach wasn't just hired this past offseason, David Quinn is way past his honeymoon phase and and fans are, are starting to point fingers at him. What do you think Quinn can do or say to this team to make a difference going forward? Well, first, I don't think it matters. Fans are pointing fingers at him. Fans always point fingers at, at the coach or the manager or the player or the beat writer or the columnist. <laughs> um, it's what they do. I don't know that there's a simple message. I, I think, honestly, I think one of the major issues with the team is the fairly mon- average, if not worse, goaltending. And these are two younger players who are in the position of being co-number ones for the first time in the NHL. They just are. And so I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be unfair to them. However, you have to make the save. You just have to. And if you don't, your team's just not going to play with any confidence. Their second game of the season against the Islanders, a terrific game. So they come off that game into the New Jersey game, and everyone was feeling good about things. And Georgiev just had a, a, a brutal second period. And, and so they fall behind, and they, and they lose a game that they probably shouldn't have lost. And then they go into Pittsburgh, and they're playing 
you know, decently against the Penguins. And Shesterkin is okay. He doesn't give up any bad goals in the first game. But he gives up two in the shootout, and you're not going to win then giving up two out of three on the shootout. And then the next night, they're playing okay again, and Shesterkin gives up two bad ones in the third period. And I think you have to make a save at some point, and I think Georgiev needed to make the save on Reader on, on the uh, breakaway. I mean, you just have to make some saves. And I do think that when you don't get the big save, the team tends to lose confidence. And I think that's been part of it. And it's an important part of it. And we were spoiled for so long around this team that honestly, for 13 years, you never gave that a second thought. And you're, of course, you're going to get good goaltending every night. Of course. So the Rangers now are going through a phase. And again, with two weeks in, I'm not suggesting that either Georgiev or, and especially Shesterkin are overrated or, or they're busts or they made, you know, or the Rangers made mistakes, but they need to get solid goaltending. They just have to. You know, it, it's such a f- fundamental part of success. Larry, I need to ask you about the depth of the New York Rangers. Uh, Hedl goes down, and whenever things are not going well, a coach will shake things up. But when you look at the depth of the New York Rangers, what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm seeing it as being a little bit weak. Well, down the middle is, is you know, <laughs> it's inevitable, isn't it? You're only as strong as your weakest link. <laughs> and, and so what's the Rangers' weakest link? Depth in the middle. It, it is. I'm, I am, was and am surprised that they didn't address that over the summer, over the off season. I know they had cap issues, but I was, I was a little surprised they didn't do anything to fortify that position. And you cannot win in this league without strength down the middle. That being said, Mika Zibanejad was an elite player last year and was an upper echelon player the year before and was a very good player the year before that. And so there is every expectation that the Rangers have an elite center at the top who can at least, and, and, and David Quinn plays his big a lot. So you know you're going to get Zibanejad at 21, 22 minutes a night. You know you're going to get Panarin on the wing 21, 22 minutes a night. So if Zibanejad is playing up to his level, then the depth down the middle becomes a little less critical. When Zibanejad is struggling, then the depth down the middle becomes critical. And there just isn't enough of it in this organization right now. Uh, and, you know, it, it's not as if someone is primed in next year either. This, this, is, this is something that, that the organization is going to need to address, if not during the season, when it's very difficult, then certainly it has to be a priority for the offseason. It's always great to have you on, Larry. Thanks for taking the time, and we'll chat next week. Thanks, Molly. Take care. We wanted our second guest of season two of Up in the Blue Seats to be someone we could zero in on goaltending with. And who better than a former Rangers goaltender who was with the team for parts of five seasons on Broadway. You see his face on your television for every MSG Network's Rangers pregame and postgame. You can see him Thursday at 6.30 p.m. for the pregame before the Blue Shirts take on the Sabres. Let's welcome Steve Valiquette. Steve, it's Molly Walker and Ron Duguay. Thanks so much for joining the show. We're so happy to have you on. Getting right down to it, you know, David Quinn had expressed so much confidence in Igor Shesterkin and Alexander Georgiev during training camp. It just seemed like that was an area they were not concerned with at all. 
but five games into the season and both goalies have been less than average. Did you sort of view it the same way? Were you overly confident about how the team would be in net this season? Molly, great to be on. And uh, I just think it's going to turn. It's not going to last long. You know, I was thinking about this today. And, and when Dukes and I worked together in 2015, Andrew Hammond came on the scene and he was playing for the Ottawa Senators. And he went 20 wins, one loss, and two OT losses with a 179 goals against and a 941 save percentage. And his nickname was the Hamburglar. And it was a big story that year. And I remember doing a a number of interviews and podcasts and things. And I said to myself, I've got to watch this guy play closely for five games before I speak like a professional on him. And I watched him. And I don't know if Dukes, if you remember me telling you this at the time, but he was late on every pass. He didn't locate the player that was coming, so he wasn't challenging when he should or staying back when he should. I felt his reads were off. All of the things that I love about Shesterkin and Georgiev that I believe will be with them long term, at that time, Hammond was not doing. So I was saying to myself, there's no way this is going to last. And the run with Andrew Hammond didn't last. It came to an abrupt halt, and he hasn't really been able to reestablish himself in the league. Point being, you can judge a goalie even when he hasn't faced a shot, because you can tell if he's ahead of the play or behind it or tracking it. And I feel like when I watch these two young goalies, Shosturkin and Georgiev, they're consistently on the play. I love their game as I read forward and see it long-term. They've looked good on their saves. They've looked good on their saves so far in this season. And if it's not for the untimely goals against, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be talking about how great their starts have been. So, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Uh, And I think everything's going to turn around, Molly. Steve, good to hear your voice. And yes, uh, I have a lot of fond memories uh, working with you, especially when it came to the goaltending position. Some things that you see I wouldn't see. And enlighten me to the goaltender position. And for you and I, Steve, whenever we would call the game, talk to game, there was never really any kind of sense of panic. That's kind of the theme of this show. We're not panicked. Because I like a lot of what I'm seeing as far as the team itself, you know, four one-goal games. So when you uh, analyze with what you see visually and with the your analytics, what is it you can say about the team itself moving forward that you're in no panic mode? Okay, uh, fair. And, and you know what, Dukes, when I look at things, you know, first with date of the morning after and I'm saying to myself, okay, what were the expected goals? How many goals should have Buffalo scored? How many should the Rangers have scored? Um, I'm doing these things at the same time. It's, it's really a pathway to video. I have to look at the video because it has to line up with what I'm seeing in data. And uh, it's just an exercise that I think a lot of teams are doing internally now that I'm doing as a broadcast analyst. Um, here's the one thing that just sticks out so far as a theme this season. And it's, it's, it's a bad goal. Now, here's the thing that's changed over the years with hockey, right, Dukes? When you were playing, a bad goal was something much different than a bad goal was when I was playing. And right now something is much different as far as bad goals that are what they once were. Now, the funny part about this exercise is that I can go back to a conversation I had presenting to an NHL team this summer where five people on the call thought that it was a bad goal when I showed them a deflection from Barkov coming off the point and putting it over the goalie's shoulder. It was delivered from Yandel from the blue line, but it was a deflection that came off the ice. And five other people thought it was a good goal. And it's very difficult to try and get reasoning with people unless you have something that backs it up. 
So to give you an example, over the last two years, when we look at deflections that come from the ice, our companies tracked 3,011 of them for 170 goals, 5.6% chance to score. The reason why I think that's important is because we can get fooled by what we call a bad goal or not a bad goal right now unless we have proof. And the proof is in the numbers, and it's also in the fact that I put it this way. It's not a bad goal, guys, because I call it a bad goal. It's a bad goal because everybody else in the league is stopping it consistently. So if we go to the first game of the season and we're going to say that the Barzell goal on Shesterkin, it's a, it's a low danger goal. And again, it, it fits into that below 8% chance to score. It still looks like a good goal. Half, half the fans could say, well, come on, Barzell shot. That was perfect. It went to the top corner. It was in the slot. But from that distance, when the goalie has clear view on it, it just is what it is. I'm not just calling it because I'm calling it that. Uh, the Rangers lose that game. The Islanders win. The next game, Bushnevich's goal on Sorokin. It's a low-danger goal. The Rangers win. The very next game against the Devils, the Rangers lose uh, that game to the Devils because Zajac's goal on Georgiev qualifies as a low-danger goal. Now we're starting to get a goalie narrative. And the first game against Pittsburgh, there's no bad goals uh, for either team. It's a 3-3 tie, and it's a 4-3 shootout loss. The next game in Pittsburgh, uh, McCann's goal from the half wall. It's a low-danger goal, and that one's easy to see. Uh, Dukes, that's your era, my era, every era. That's an easy one, right? Pittsburgh wins that hockey game. Last night, there's no bad goals, and it's a 3-2 loss for the Rangers. But in a 3-2 league, a lot of one-goal games are going to be played, but the low-danger goals that are oftentimes a differentiator, I think, have to be identified, called out, so the coaching staff and everybody in management has a way to measure the expectations for their goalie, for the goalie they're playing against, for their team, for their defensemen. You have to be able to, and coaches and management do this, they will allocate who the primary offender is on a goal against. And I think that you get to stand to reason that you can figure that out. I'm going to say it one more time this way. The best goalies in the league are the best and average at high danger against because the high danger chances go in one every three times, breakaways, two-on-ones, screen deflections, and the mid-danger stuff that you see, a screen where there's a partial tip, a uh, high tip where it's an elevated shot from the point, all of these types of chances, uh, the mid-danger ones are really allowed by the goalies that are not playing so well, they're performing below league, league average, but the guys that kill you are the guys that give up the low danger goals. It's just the way it is right now in the NHL. It's, it's the goalie position is that difficult to play and it's very difficult to win if you don't have an A plus performance. And that's just the way it is. Steve, I think it was after Sunday's loss in Pittsburgh, our colleague Larry Brooks asked David Quinn if he thought not having Henrik Lundqvist as sort of a safety net was to blame for the shaky start in the net so far this season. And like Larry usually does, he saw something that many people didn't. Quinn went on to give this anecdote about a conversation he had with Lundqvist in the bubble during the summer playoffs, where they talked about what it was going to be like for the two young goalies once he was gone. The starting job is now starting, is now staring particularly Shesterkin in the face, you know, because he was primed to take over since the organization drafted him in 2014. Do you think that's weighing on him a little bit, knowing that it's there for the taking? Molly, it's it's a really good question. And, and, you know, I think it's something that we've talked about in hockey for a really long time. 
I remember this coming up uh, a few years ago when Marc-Andre Fleury left and uh, he goes to Vegas and, you know, you leave Matt Murray there, a guy that's won two Stanley Cups, but now he doesn't have the safety net of Marc-Andre Fleury. There's pressure. Uh, he feels a little bit underappreciated. There was a lot of talk around the team about how they shouldn't have let Marc-Andre Fleury leave. And then he gets shipped this past summer. Now he's in Ottawa. And Tristan Jari, who's going to take over, is having a pretty tough time with it as well. It is a different pressure. It's tough for people to understand. The game can consume you. Uh, from the night before the game, when you realize that you're going to be the start because, starter because you've been told, your preparation through that day, you're in a different world, quite frankly. You're in a different world. You're in a different place mentally. Your teammates will say some things to you that might throw you off or it's kind of really diff difficult for me to nail down one reason why it's so much different, but I think it just has to deal with the great responsibility that comes with being the guy. And it's You don't know what it feels like until you do it. I never got the opportunity to do it in the NHL, but I certainly felt it when I was a junior hockey player. I certainly felt it in the minor leagues. And I know there's a big difference being a support guy versus being the guy that everybody looks to, to be consistent, to stay healthy, and to give the team a chance to win. It's, uh, it's one of the toughest jobs in sports, and it comes with a lot of mental fatigue. Steve, I know you're focused on, on tracking and talking goaltending, but when you look at the team, and I know you're paying attention to the defense and the forwards, is there one player out there in the six games that's that's impressed you with what you've seen? Adam Fox, Dukes. Um, Adam Fox. I mean, Keandre Miller for coming up and being able to get that comfortable and acclimated so well and so soon has really been surprising, but almost as surprising as uh, the way I was last year with Fox being able to come from college and, and command minutes and play in a big role with Lindgren at the end of the year. But this year, um, I'd have to say it's, it's Fox as far as I don't think there's been a better player in all three zones. And I don't think, I don't think I've heard this one before dudes, but I, I would refer to Adam Fox as a three zone player because he's that good on the offensive side of the blue line. I was looking at this earlier today, preparing for tomorrow's show and pregame show for the Buffalo game. And Adam Fox leads the team in setting up his teammates for those golden opportunities for uh, what we call high danger chances. So he's a, he's a goal distributor now too, aside from being able to get up and down the blue line and get it to the net as frequently as he does, or skate it out when he sees openings, make great passes. And he, I've always said that he's got, uh, he's got really good habits. He's got really good habits. He's able to get the puck to his hip and make everybody as he's coming up ice think that he's passing, look people off and, and make the good play to get up the ice. I just think he's been outstanding everywhere. And he's had great time in his own D zone. Um, he's, he's, guys, we're pretty fortunate right now when you look at the D that are going to be here for quite some time. And I made this comparison yesterday. If you're looking at a really good decor that was really responsible in their own zone, in their own D zone, over the last few years, not any longer because everybody's kind of left. But when you look at Tory Krug, Charlie McAvoy, and Zidane Chara, I'm wondering if those three defensemen, Truba, Miller, and Fox, can kind of fit those roles. You know, because you need big bodies that can box out and play tough in front of your goaltender in zone. You also need somebody like a Tory Krug, and I think that Fox fits that mold, that he can be that offensive, and he can be running your power play, but he can also be very responsible and, 
and play all three zones. I, I just couldn't be more impressed with him and the play of Miller. And I think it's really the play of Miller has helped Truba too, which the team really needs for him to get going as well. Getting back to the goaltender, Steve, if you could get technical with us for a minute, what what kind of adjustments do you think both need to make? Again, I wouldn't say that there are many moments that I've been nervous for a save to come. I've, I've always been very confident when these goalies move. Um, so what I do, Molly, the morning after is I'm usually on my space bar on my Apple computer and I'm making sure that when the puck goes from side to side, that the puck actually gets right across their middle before they start to move. You don't want to see a goalie going early and you don't want to see a goalie just sitting there and watching the puck go past them east to west and then they haven't really responded by initiating their movement. So when I look at the guys move and how well they're tracking the puck and another thing that I do off the shot would be I'd pause it and make sure that the goalie's still in his stance when the puck is halfway between the goaltender and coming off the shooter's stick. Again, those those points have been there with these two guys, which, again, they weren't with Andrew Hammond in 2015. All of these indicators for success are there with these two guys. I love Georgiev's technical game. I actually think out of the two guys, he's technically – easier for me to use as an example when I'm teaching a youngster at goalie camps and clinics and things like that. Um, whereas Shesterkin, his strength and where he's even, you know, better, let's just say, or stronger than Georgiev is off of his reads. And what he does really well is that he gets to the post if the puck goes to the corner. And the first thing he does is he takes a snapshot to the middle. He looks, he finds out if it's a lefty or a righty, which is a big difference because that's eight feet of shooting angle when you're comparing a lefty or a righty. And I noticed from day one, he'll come out and charge. And he'll charge if there's nobody on the backside for pressure. But at the same time, on that same sequence, if somebody is behind him, he will come out and just set his feet early in the blue ice. So he does all those things. And Molly, the, the McCann goal against Pittsburgh from the half wall, I think that Shesterkin was really focused on who he thought was going to be the receiving player on the pass. The pass never came. And it was a shot that was delivered at the net. And I think that threw him off. So let's just say that that was a mistake. He made a mistake. I made that mistake. But you know what? I made it in the minors when not a lot of people saw. And that's a big difference. And that's the difference with pressure. Uh, it's that now that your mistakes are under the big lights and not in an arena in Lowell, Massachusetts, with 1,300 fans in the building and nobody afterwards to answer to, that's the hard part. And Nobody knows. I don't care who the goalie is before he gets that role, what he's going to be. We project as best we can. We have different models that we believe will state he's been this successful at this level. It's going to translate, but there's no way to understand if an athlete, this is anybody, if an athlete truly believes in himself until he's put into that position and you have to put him into a position to be successful. And when he gets that to that point where he's successful, he has to be able to have some success and then feel that confidence that's built over over a few really good experiences at the NHL level at being the guy. And then when he gets past that hurdle, he'll be off to the races because he's got all of the other skills and fundamentals that will set him up for that success. Steve, we uh, really appreciate having you on the show. I'm going to leave you with one last question. And if you could just help us out in understanding what you've seen in their number one pick at Lafreniere. I know it's kind of unfair because he's so young, no exhibition game. He's just kind of thrown out there. Much is expected. Are there things that you've seen so far in this game, although he hasn't accumulated points? Have you seen stuff in him that you say, wow, now I get it? Or is there things that are a little bit disappointing? Or how would you how would you describe him so far left in the air? 
just getting comfortable, Dukes, you know, and I'm sure you remember what it felt like your first six to 10 games. You're just trying to get comfortable in the league and you're trying not to be distracted uh, with who you're matched up against. Look at his first five games. You know, he's up against all the top people from all the top lines. I bet every time he looked up, he's seeing Crosby or he's seeing Jack Hughes and Paul Mary playing really well. And he's, he's he had really tough matchups the first five games. I think the job that he did last night getting away from some top people probably helped him ease. And he had two really good scoring chances last night. He hasn't had a lot of scoring chances yet. And, and again, dudes, you know what that feels like. If you're not getting chances, it's hard to feel good about yourself because you're trying to measure yourself by getting points. And if you don't get those chances, you're not getting points. There's also been a disconnect in the first six games with power play time and PK time, and it takes you out of a rhythm. You can imagine that when he's played at every other level, he's always been on the power play. Right now he's not on the power play, and the power play gives guys like that I always feel like it just gives them that touch. The, the puck's on their stick. They've got a little bit of time to move around the ice, and those touches help in that five-on-five play. So I don't think it's fair to say that we've seen him in enough situations yet. We're just, I'm just hoping to see some more opportunity for him, uh, maybe against lesser competition, just to get going a little bit, and then we can see the true value of what he is. I, I mean, he's a generational player based on what he did at the Quebec Major Junior uh, Hockey League level. And we haven't seen anybody do that since Crosby. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where he's going to go. We just have to wait, right, guys? We just have to wait a little bit. Steve, it's Jake here. I just got to ask you, were you ever intimidated by Ron's blazers and his fashion? (laughs) Obviously, his fashion stood out on that TV screen. I'm curious if you miss him. Were you intimidated? Uh, And maybe share some memories working with Ron. Yeah, we were. Uh, we had a great time together. I I don't know if Dukes always gave me tips too, right, Jake? Like he was always saying, Stevie, if you're gonna wear a tie, don't wear the pocket square. You got to pick one, <laughs> right? Because it was really early in my time too, right? It was the first year, and and I never forget this. I was, uh, I think the first game we worked together, Dukes was Pitt. We were playing against the Penguins, and uh, I ran out of stuff to say, and I didn't have anything more on Malkin. And I looked at Dukes, and I was like circling the wagons with my finger, and I'm like, dude, I need like. We weren't on camera. I'm like, dudes, hop in there, you know? And um, it, it always helped just having the mentorship. And then if it wasn't picking up where I was running out of air, he was picking up uh, fashion things for me to get into and get involved with. And you know what? We joined, I joined Dukes at the, at the best time, too, because it was right after 14 when they went to the final. And then we went to the Eastern Conference final that year and lost in game seven to Tampa. So we had, Dukes, remember, we're running off to Bryant Park in between intermissions, doing a quick show, running back to the studio. Paul is yelling at us because we're late. And um, it was a wild time because the team was so successful. And, you know, we were really fortunate to have and be a part of those runs. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, Steve. Well, thanks so much for joining us and lending your goaltending expertise. Enjoy the rest of the season, and we hope to have you on again in the future. Hey, thanks, Molly Dukes. Good talking to you. Jake, uh, have a great night, guys. seals the deal for episode 41 the eddie neo edition of up in the blue seats our new york rangers podcast from the new york post thanks to jake brown and sarah mccrory for producing the show go into apple Podcasts now and give us a five-star rating and write in a really nice review we appreciate your support for ron duguay i'm molly walker we will return each and every thursday all season long until next time enjoy the next week of rangers games Thanks for listening and stay safe.